Welcome to You and Your Money. Today, I'm joined by Jim Zahansky, Principal, Managing Partner, and Chief Strategy Officer at Weiss, Hale, and Zahansky Strategic Wealth Advisors, as today we discuss nixing the behavior gap. He'll explain what that means in a second, but Jim, welcome back, my friend. Oh, wow. Nice to, nice to hear your voice, Wayne. Happy New Year. Happy 2022, everyone. Hey, I got to ask, did you get caught up in that ice storm yesterday? Uh, fortunately not, but man, was that, I mean, so crazy how quickly that elevated. But I guess it goes to show you, you just got to listen and be careful out there, right? Yep, and it really developed an amazing short period of time when the rain began. So today we're going to be discussing how to create behaviors for better financial health in 2022. But before we delve into that, we always start our monthly programs off with the latest news from the financial markets. So what's going on in the markets? Well, uh, you know, when we look back at 2021, believe it or not, I mean, it was a really, really strong year, uh, which followed up on the pandemic year. So, you know, things like when you think about the S&P 500, uh, which is a broad index of stocks, you know, when you look at the, the uh, 2021 gains, I mean, they were in the 20, 20% percent growth. Um, and so you think about 2022 as we enter it, and can you sustain in the equity markets that sort of growth and what happens in the bond markets? Um, and as we look forward, you know, we, we, um, the things we're watching are always these economic indicators like job growth, uh, consumer spending, business spending, uh, what's going on with uh, the bond yield curve. And when we look at these, they've all been really strong through 2021. Um, which is probably why when you look at the Federal Reserve minutes that were released yesterday from their December meeting, why they're looking at tightening some of the uh, economic indicators like borrowing money um, and, you know, raising interest rates a bit because inflation is quite high. And these are the tools they have to make sure that the economy doesn't overheat. So while yesterday's news, you know, showed that there would likely be an increase in interest rates faster than what markets had thought, and it caused some sort of a sell-off for sure. Um, it, it, it's, it's because the economy has, has been pre- uh, performing at a stronger rate than what had been thought. Now, I'd say one variable that's popped up, which is not new to us, is, you know, what is COVID doing to impact that? And, uh, and as we enter this year, clearly the Omicron variant is curbing some of the ways we're all spending money for a short period of time. So we'll have to watch. Certainly quarter one may not be exactly what quarter four was last year um, because we can't do everything we were doing then. But uh, at the same time, uh, we do expect growth this year. And the things we'll be watching will be monetary policy by the Federal Reserve and how they're uh, monitoring interest rates as we come out of this pandemic and, uh, and how people continue to spend money, get jobs. And uh, all of those will indicate what this year's outlook tends to be, Wayne. Jim, you mentioned COVID, and we've not asked this question before, but I'm curious how this pandemic affects the women and the men on Wall Street. Are they still down there on Wall Street doing their thing in person? Do they do it mass? Do they do it virtual? A combination of all the above. Well, like like most companies, um, everyone is trying to get back to work, and it just keeps getting pushed off. Um, some of the larger investment firms, when you think of like Goldman Sachs, they had um, wanted people to get back last September. I think that they brought some back um, sporadically, but I, I, I sense right now that most of those big companies are, are working from home, um, which, you know, that whole trend on Wall Street anyway, Wayne, has been more 
less about the trading floor and more about the electronic trading floor. And you dropped in a phrase I had not heard you use before, the bond yield curve. That's not 007 in his Aston Martin, is it? <laughs> Shaken, not stirred. Um, <laughs> uh, no. So, you know, the bond markets, which, we, which, are, which are hugely traded markets, and, and really uh, these are the debt instruments that whether companies or governments, uh, municipal bonds, you've heard of bonding, you know, new facilities, and, and you might have even voted on some of those in your town. Um, but but these uh, are fixed income instruments or vehicles uh, that you know have a yield. So you borrow money, they borrow money from you. You get a yield back, um, and you get eventually the principal back. But um, like these really are uh, um, in a portfolio. What we view as you know having some bond exposure as anchors in the portfolio based on your risk. So in portfolio construction, if, you know, you think of your 401k or something, you probably have some mutual funds or ETFs that are stock-based. There might be some that are bond-based. Bonds are, are um, based on, a, you know, they're paying out based on how long their duration is and, and how long their term is. Some could be 30 years. Some could be, you know, think about treasury instruments as, as much as you know, six months a year, and they're paying you some interest rate for you giving them some money. And so those yields we watch, um, and they, they also are fixed to things like mortgage instruments and things like that. Uh, we watch these yields, and they've been fairly low. Um, you know, in fact, some of the bonds even didn't, didn't perform as well last year. Uh, but right now, you know, you're going to see them likely uh, start, yields start to, to increase as interest rates are thought about increasing as well. And Jim, speaking of the pandemic, flash me back to springtime and maybe summertime in 2020, when pretty much the economy shut down. What did the markets do at that time? Because it intrigues me that as this thing spikes now again and gets bad again, but while the economy is open, meaning business is open now, they weren't open in the uh, middle part of 2020, the market continues to go up. Is there a concern that if this spike continues, that might level off or drop? Yeah, certainly. I mean, and that's that's what I was speaking about when, you know, you look at quarter four and, and when you look at the Federal Reserve saying, hey, the economy's hot, meaning people are getting jobs, they're spending money, businesses are investing, they're hiring. Um, I think the, the thing that we've learned, though, over the past, can you believe it, two years, uh, is, uh, is that, you know, we can work through COVID, um, meaning we, we know that what works, we know that you know, masks are part of our life for a little bit. Um, there are vaccines, there are medicines that help, and I think we've learned that for sure. When you think about it from a market perspective, um, I mean, generally speaking, the the monetary policy side or the way the U.S. managed through the Federal Reserve, when we all couldn't spend money, they stimulated the economy. This is you know Keynesian economics, and uh, and and it worked, and so. It propped markets back up in that summer of 2020, uh, and they continued to 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 invest in buying uh, buying debt instruments and you know stimulating economy through giving us money and businesses money and those sorts of things. And then right now, so you sort of have to taper that back when pe- when private investment starts to increase at such a fast rate. So you sort of have to taper back the government investment. Otherwise, your economy is overheating. And so at a very general level, that is what's going on. And I think the challenge that we all have is, you know, the continuation of COVID and what that means and how we can spend money, 
how businesses can hire, and how businesses continue to invest, uh, despite you know, despite what's happening on the on the health front. Jim, our topic for the day: how to create behaviors for better financial health in the new year. What does that entail? Well, it, it entails a lot. I think we're going to focus more on the behaviors that we can control as, as humans. I mean, over the last few years, um, I, I want people to think back. If you're looking at your 401k in the March or April of 2020, uh, or if you're looking at your portfolio overall, you probably had a sinking feeling in your stomach when you saw markets red for a couple of weeks, losing about, you know, if you were only in the S&P, losing about 35%. Um, and then... And then you had a feeling of euphoria as markets came back up and, uh, and in 2020 actually grew, you know, double digit percentages, uh, and the same in 2021. Well, the reality is that markets ebb and flow based on economic indicators, right? And so, so don't our emotions. And, and the point here is, is that when you think of the behavior gap, this is something, um, that it's a, it's a book and a concept written by a, cer- a certified financial planner. Uh, Carl Richards, he calls it the behavior gap. And it basically explains that, um, you know, people, wh- how people decide what they do as it relates to their finances and um, how some of these decisions that they make can be negative to their overall financial growth. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that this morning. But you, in the end, you don't want to miss out on, um, you know, a lot of people don't want to miss out on the high, higher investment returns. And just that, that level of thinking right there can, can uh, sometimes automatically uh, hurt people's long-term performance. That's good stuff. And you talked about the emotion. So what kind of emotions can contribute to this behavior gap? And how can they lead to poor financial decisions? Yeah, I mean, you know, over the last, I'd call it year and a half, 18 months or so, um, I mean, think about it. I mean, markets have been, while there have been some ebb and flows, uh, we haven't seen, you know, a 10% drop since March or April of 2020. Um, we, we've definitely seen 3 4 or 5%. But, you know, generally speaking, it's always recovered because the fundamentals of economic activity have been strong. All during that time, people feel pretty confident, whether they're hearing that on the nightly news about what the Dow did or the S&P did or whether they're looking at their own portfolio, they're feeling pretty confident. So when in those sort of bull markets, when the markets are strong, um, you know, we, we tend to think about buying more. Um, you know, Richard says that's, that's sort of greedy, right? Like, you know, you have to be careful. You, you don't want to keep feeding what you think will always go up. Like if you're coming into 2021, I'm sorry, 2022, thinking I'm going to get, you know, another 25% this year, um, you know, I think the reality of that is really going to be difficult. Uh, and, and so you have to, uh, you know, think about, you don't, you don't, you don't want that, that feeling of euphoria as the bull market comes up to always be your, your constant, uh, readjusting your own, your own strategy. And on the flip side, I think the second emotion is when stocks are low. Again, that feeling when, you know, March or April of 2020, what, what's going on in the markets when, you, when you're fearful, um, it can make you, it can make you think about constant changes. Maybe you're selling low. I mean, the old adage generally is, you know, you want to buy when markets are low uh, and sell when they're high. But these emotions that we're talking about actually have people um, doing the reverse, which is, which is uh, not where you want to be. Well, I would bet that there's people who make an investment based on sound 
advice, which comes from people like you, and they let it sit there unless something really bad is going on or they got it, they find something more lucrative. For the most part, they don't mess around with it. But conversely, there's probably other people who change things around. They withdraw and reinvest in different accounts, if not every year, maybe every month or the like. And, and would that be part of this emotional stuff you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, you know, I think the people who are in the, sort of in the latter camp you just described, I mean, this behavior is known as searching for alpha. They're always, they're always looking for above average returns. And I think by definition, this is really difficult. Um, when you think of markets being efficient over the long term, and this is how we always work with clients, we think when we're doing an income plan for somebody, we're thinking over, you know, 20, 30, and 40-year increments and, and how have markets performed. And when you look at that level of longitudinal data, um, you know, for the most part, markets have always returned. But there are periods of time where they don't. And, uh, you know, generally speaking, depending on sort of risk that you're taking, uh, you know, you may be rebounding off of those low points much faster. And I think those, those types of long-term strategies for people on the investment side, when you stick with something that's smart, that's steady, that is within your risk profile, um, you're going to see greater returns than if you're constantly, you know, selling when things are, are low uh, and buying when things are high. That's not the behavior you want. Um, and so these sorts of things, whether you're looking at uh, market research or not, or, or just how, how we know anecdotally from our clients, they've shown that behaviors from, from investors when they, when they make moves um, more constantly that it lessens the possible return on any given investment over time. Well, as one of those who does not do knee-jerk changes, are there penalties for withdrawing money out of an account and changing to another, or you can do that penalty-free? I mean, it sort of depends what type of an account, I mean, and what kind of an investment you're holding. I mean, but generally speaking, if you're buying, I'll use, uh, you know, a general stock, uh, you know, if you're buying a, a stock in any company, I mean, you have the right to buy or sell when you, when you want to. Um, and the only cost might be, uh, well, I mean, the, from a transaction point of view, there could be a transaction cost. I think, though, the point that we're making here is that uh, from an emotional point of view and what Carl Richards would say about the behavior gap is that if you uh, are more thoughtful at the strategic side of things, if you're thinking about what would certain a sort of uh, longer-term investment like if your risk tolerance, say, Wayne, was you're, you're comfortable with taking a pretty significant risk in markets, say, you know, let's call it 90% of your uh, holdings in your portfolio are stocks. It's pretty aggressive, right? Um, some of them may perform really well. Some won't. And if you hold on to those, though, over a 10-year period, the data would say you're more likely to perform in those than if you tended to make a move when something wasn't performing. And, um, and, and so to your point earlier, I think there's ways to think about this, which is to, you know, work with people who know what they're doing. Um, if you know what you're doing yourself and you're looking at data and research and you can make these decisions, um, then, then keep doing it. But nonetheless, investors who would stick to a strategy and only make moves when it was appropriate, like selling when things are high, uh, you know, not when they're low. Those are the types of things when uh, when you take the emotion out of those decisions that will help your long-term performance in your portfolio. And eventually, I mean, why do you want to do that? That's usually because at some point 
you need income off of these portfolios. Well, see, if I were a real knee-jerk kind of guy, I would have put a lot of money into road treatment investments Tuesday before it was needed and not used early enough yesterday. But I didn't do that, so I didn't make enough money here. So whether the market is up or down, it sounds like the inclination is to respond by making frequent changes to your investments, which is actually where the danger lies. Yeah, right. I mean, if you if you if you're uh, if you're making these frequent changes, you might you know you might be off strategy, right? So that risk that I just talked to you about, saying it's, say maybe ninety percent of your portfolios in stocks. I mean, you know, if you're continuing to trade out and and sell when things are are low as opposed to high because you you're fearful, right? That's that emotion I'm talking about. Then over the long term, the data would say that that is uh, not not obviously the way to do it from a uh, you know getting a return point of view, which then leaves you with a lower overall portfolio value, say over a five or ten year period, and then hence less income you could take off that portfolio, which is the reason why we're saving in these sorts of instruments and, and uh, investment vehicles is to grow net worth over time, to increase the amount um, that you can take off of a portfolio. So that when you're not working someday, you have some money to, to live off of. And that's generally, um, for most of the listeners, why they might save in a 401k or an, uh, or an IRA or something like that. And, and I think that's, um, those are the behaviors you want to be careful of is always making um, emotional decisions when markets are down and you're fearful it, to switch strategies. At that point, you likely lose money over the long term is what the data would say. And that's what uh, Carl Richards' book and the behavior gap is about. What about forces other than the markets? Are there other types of emotional responses that can negatively affect your finances? Well, I don't know. You tell me, Wayne. I think there, in life, you find yourself being more emotional if you're going through pretty uh, significant, say, personal change, uh, you know, divorce or, you know, you're moving or something where you're highly emotional already it's more likely you'll take that behavior across your life. So, um, you know, that's, that's something we always work on with our clients is like, what else are you going through right now? Try to help understand what, what they're thinking so that we can, I mean, part of being an advisor and, and part of being and working with clients is to make sure you're keeping them on track and being honest with them and holding them accountable to their own strategy. So then what are some ways we can reduce our own behavior gaps to help maintain better financial help? I mean, first of all, you got to know your strategy, right? So make sure that you know your own risk tolerance and make sure that your investment strategy aligns to that. Once you know that and, you know, you're probably working with some sort of advisor, um, you know, when you're working with an advisor, there are differences. You know, we at our company are fiduciary advisors, meaning we have to work in your best interest. That's that's the oath we're taking with it. Not Not every advisor is that way, but basically, I mean, we see ourselves as, we're trying to be committed to making our clients uh, think about long-term decisions that align to their financial plan and the amount of risk they want to take so that they can get the returns they want to fund the goals they want later in life. And, and I think that accountability, Wayne, that advisors provide is, is really essential to how uh, investors you know, can stay away from this, uh, you know, this, whole, this whole concept of, um, of the behavior gap that we discussed, which is essentially fear when things are bad and you know greed when things are good. And I'm sure it helps to have some guidance and outside perspective at those times as well. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, um, that's where we come in. I, I can remember a ton of calls during the, the uh, you know, downward trend in March of 2020 from clients. And, you know, our job, as we saw it, was to keep them on strategy. Uh, you know, the data would always tell us to stay in markets as, as much as you can. Um, and it's a great time to buy when, when prices are low, right? Well, that thought came to mind last week or two when there was a big drop in the market. And uh, the way that it generally goes, unless it's like 2008 or 1929, it generally rebounds pretty quickly. And I'm thinking to myself, wouldn't this be a good time to invest after a huge drop? Because you're going to make money when it bounces back, which it did. Well, that would be a really astute way to look at it. Um, but, uh, but this behavior gap tends to that we're talking about tends to see that the majority of people you know don't think that way they're fearful and then sell as opposed to understanding that the efficiency of markets over the long term has them coming back and you're right i mean there are various time frames in which it comes back and not the whole market doesn't always come back you know at once right not every segment of the market performs and that's why um you know guidance from advisors like us can help think about what are the factors that, you know, put money in the right portions of markets? Not to say that we all always get it right. We, you know, like everyone, don't get everything right. But the reality is um, not every part of the markets perform, and there are indicators to say where money should go based on where uh, these financial indicators are. But nonetheless, you're exactly right. And uh, to think about putting this behavior gap to practice, I mean, ideally you, you don't want to, you know, keep buying more, uh, you know, at once when markets are so high. Um, but, but you know, e- if that was even a long-term thinking there, you probably would return more out there. And you don't want to sell everything when, it's, when markets are low. You'd want to buy more. So um, hopefully that helps to, as you start thinking about this year for people who are listening. You can think a bit about the emotion that you can control and to be really thoughtful about what strategy in, in your investments, whether it's your 401K or your IRA, and make sure you're getting the potential best long-term return that aligns to your risk. And while it doesn't have to be done in January, is it the policy of your company to have periodic, maybe annual reviews of each of your clients' portfolios to make sure that they're on good financial standing and maybe some changes that you would recommend making? Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, aligning to what their financial plan is, what's going on in their life and the goals they're trying to achieve. Um, you know, those are absolutely at least once a year discussions, but, uh, from a portfolio side, I mean, we're, we meet every, um, we're looking at the portfolios on a daily basis, but we, we make decisions on changes in them every two months based on data. Um, and we look at long-term returns at the five and 10 year number to make sure that each of the portfolio, um, items that we're, we're putting in there from an investment point of view have performed where we want them to give our clients the best long-term return. Jim, good information. Always a pleasure. Thanks for your solid comments this morning. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. I hope it's a great 2022 for you, and uh, stay healthy. Jim Zahansky discussing how to create behaviors for better financial health in the new year. Weiss, Hale, and Zahansky, Strategic Wealth Advisors, Principals, Managing Partners, James A. Zahansky, AWMA, and Lawrence Hale, AAMSCRPS, 
along with Vice President, Associate Financial Advisor Lysel Cording, CFP, offers securities and advisory services through Commonwealth Financial Network, member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor, fixed insurance products and services offered through CES Insurance Agency. They practice at 697 Pomfret Street, Pomfret Center 06259. You can call them at 860-928-2341. Weiss, Hale, and Zahansky, strategic wealth advisors, do not provide legal or tax advice. The tenured financial services team strives to support clients in achieving their financial life goals. Content sourced and researched through Commonwealth Financial Network. For more information regarding wealth management and customized financial planning with Weiss, Hale, and Zahansky Strategic Wealth Advisors, please visit whzwealth.com. 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.